This is Eleanor speaking. Welcome to episode one of the Evil Podcast, the podcast where CEOs get to share their stories from how they got an idea to making a profitable business. We hope this podcast will enable aspiring entrepreneurs to find inspiration and tips to get started. Today, I welcome Bernard Epic, board member of Novit 20. Novit 20 was founded in March 2020 when the COVID-19 pandemic started. The company prevented the spreading of COVID-19 using early warning systems to potentially infected people and innovative solutions to bring the pandemic to an end. Welcome, Berna. Hi, everyone. My name is Berna Epig. I am a profiler and board member of Novit 20, as well as an entrepreneur. And today I'm very excited to be here. Happy to have you. So, Berna, Let's think about the setting. It was March 2020, COVID-19 had spread it over several continents and started to claim quite a high number of victims. How did the idea come to you to fund Novit 20 and what do you do? So um, the idea came to me as a person actually by phone from a now very good friend of mine, Misha, who was convinced that we can contribute in a technical way to the pandemic to end it. Okay, so now we know that there are mainly uh, contact tracing apps, but obviously back then it was quite new. Can you walk us through the creation process of Novin 20? Like, how, how did you, you had this first phone call, and then did you set milestones? Did you, did you recruit a team? Did you have to say, okay, this is our vision, this is our mission, this is what we need to do? Uh, did you just start coding right away? What did you do? So the story and creation of Novit is a very different one from any other startup I've been part of. We had to act out out of necessity, without planning, without conception, uh, a lot of trial and error, and of course, as quickly as possible and even, even quicker than a normal startup pace. Uh, but we had this very big advantage. Uh, every good pitch starts with the problem and why that particular problem should be solved. And we did not have this kind of challenge at Novit because the entire world had the same problem and everyone was incredibly highly interested in solving exactly that problem. So um, the vision that drove us all was very clear to everyone to end the pandemic and to save lives. And we repeated this over and over again in late night meetings. If we save one life this way, it will all have been worth it. And what were your task and your exact day-to-day work? So, um, as I said, we were moving uh, in a very fast way, right? So I think it's best to think of it as uh, one Novit day being two weeks of a normal startup, whereas the normal startup day is already relatively uh, full and a bit chaotic. So initially my day consisted of understanding what was needed to move forward that day and who could get involved and how they could get involved and also who we need to talk to outside of the company. Very, very fast-paced kind of development. How do you make sure that you have high quality control? Did you have to to change your standards as an entrepreneur or did you did you manage to just find a resource in yourself because of how needed this this product was? How did you keep this quality standard? So um at our peak we had a total of 120 people working at Novit, right? So um this was incredible. This was amazing because they were all working without us paying them. We're a nonprofit association, and it was just incredible to see how many people are willing to work together with us. So 
we did not really have ego in there within the 120 people, right? Everyone wanted to contribute. Everyone wanted to kind of end the pandemic. So this was one very big thing. So it made us very, it made it very easy to give feedback, to be honest about certain things, um, to also say it if, if something doesn't work out that way. People were um, very much asking for feedback also, if that's okay, because we were sending out things to government, et cetera, right? So um, everyone really made sure that the quality was high and that everything we're doing like gets out in a, in a really good quality. But of course, it needed some basis. So we did that. We um, developed departments, had the people who were really good, good at texting at that department and good at talking at the other department, etc. So the basis was very important too, but I would really like to point out that everyone really um, tried to make it as good as possible. But um, the first thing we tried to do is kind of understand uh, what kind of skills we have, what we need to succeed and kind of um, work with that. After that, we could see what we were still lacking and what else we needed to be even more successful. Uh, thankfully, there were a lot of people contributing, as I said, and um, there were a lot more um, new people than old people at some time. So that was challenging too, after I would say a month, right? So this challenge we had to solve. And then uh, after that, of course, um, having a good structure with so many people was the challenge. So yeah, I would say, um, I cannot tell you specifically how many days it took, but that was kind of the challenges we were facing um, with the team growing. So after a few months of um, working on this, you, I guess you have the product, you have the downloads, things are coasting, I guess, a bit calming down or, or were things always, 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 you know, raising for like an, an, a year or two years? How how did things evolve in the amount of work that you had to do, actually? Uh, it was never less work, I would say. It was different work. Um, at some point, I told you that we were talking to different governments, which means we were talking to different time zones. So sometimes I would have to get up at like 4 a.m. and talk to the one government and then at um, 10 p.m. to the other. So um, this was a very crazy period of time with absolutely not enough sleep and uh, with new gray hair. <laughs> that was the first time I got a gray hair and uh, a lot of learnings. But it was never less work. The work just uh, shifted from from one place to the other. It's it's really it's really hard to understand, and I hundred percent do understand that that it's not the normal way to do things. Um, but that's how it happened. We did not tell anyone that we um, that they didn't apply, so we didn't tell them, "Hey, you're rejected," or we um, let you be part of our team. We said, "You want to contribute? Okay, here is the thing: what we're doing. How can you contribute?" And the one person said, hey, I'm a marketing manager. Let me um, do the marketing. I was like, okay, sweet. And then the other people said, hey, I'm uh, working in partnerships and management. And I have a lot of contacts here and there. Amazing. And then <laughs> this kind of evolved to being the company that it was then at 120 people. And then um, I obviously saw that the people had certain skills, a certain skill set that could help us be even better as a company. So I was asking them, what about if you do this and that? Could you contribute in that in that way? And they would say yes and no. It was kind of a puzzle that we put together. So it was very bottom up. 
So we didn't put departments and then recruit people into it. It was the other way around. People came and we were looking at the people, what they can do, what skills they have, what contacts they have, and then we would put them in there. And after that, we would see what we're lacking. We were lacking X, Y, Z. So I activated my own community and I uh, told them, like, hey, uh, we need someone for the financials. We don't have anyone that is skilled enough in our company. Could you do that? And the person said, yes. So um, that person filled that uh, position, et cetera, et cetera. And also all of this evolved constantly. So uh, you could be in team eggs the one day and would be unsatisfied with it. So you would be in team Y the other. Um, we just try to make sure that everyone is using their competencies and their skill set according to what they want to do and what they where they can contribute the best. Right. So this is uh, kind of how we build everything up. And after all of this, the organizational structure came. We were even thinking about if we need an organizational structure because um, everyone could do everything at the same time, right? Without having this uh, restriction, etc. But then obviously when you're communicating outside um, the company, it gets very tough because you don't know who to contact um, regarding some uh, problems or regarding some topics and who's actually the decision maker. So it was basically external factors that made us have a department and organizational structure, etc. But you gave them tasks. So you told them, well, one of you writes the code, the other of you tests the thing, the other one of you does the marketing, the other of you does IT, and that's it, right? <laughs> it's not. It's, it's very hard to explain, but the departments came after... A month or two. <laughs> we didn't even have departments uh, in the beginning, right? So um, we did not plan to have 120 people in there. The people just came and we said, this is what we're doing. Where can you contribute? And then they contributed, right? Indeed. Uh, let's go back to your, your, your product and innovation itself. Innovation is usually something that can target different kinds of age range and generations. And auto covered was targeting, well, targeting, not really, but killing actually mostly people of a certain age. It was also the same demographic that's less used to using smartphones and apps and say, for example, Bluetooth. Uh, was that a problem? And did you have to advertise differently or were you targeting young people knowing that they're the ones who usually are in contact with more people? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we were thinking of that as well since um, they were the ones needing it most. And um, as you said, they were the ones uh, who don't really have a smartphone or don't use it as much or have it with them all the time. So um, we tried to develop some new technologies with beacons where they could have uh, attack with them that basically allows them to do the same as they would do with the contact tracing app. So we kind of try to find a workaround for them uh, not in terms of communication, but something that the user would actually use. Did you use any national TV or newspaper kind of um, relay to actually advertise or did you just use app and ear-to-ear -ear communication? Uh, I think we did use national television one time. We did do that, uh, but it was not in, in, in our marketing plan or in something that we planned. It was just the right thing to do at that time because there was a lot of hectic and panic in terms of uh, in terms of COVID tracing apps and uh, they thought that you know we're exchanging their IDs and names and everything um, for money and that was kind of our way to help clarify that 
we were not doing that. We always tracked the infections and not the people. And this is how you managed to achieve about 150,000 downloads on the first day. Uh, this this ear-to-ear communication and just telling people and possibly also the urgency of the situation, right? Exactly. And uh, the Georgian government, we sold it to the Georgian government. And then in Georgia, we had the 150,000 downloads. So um, the Georgian government was also good at communicating that. Mm-hmm. Do you reckon it really depends where you are based or it was it dependent really on the COVID situation? As in some governments might be better at using innovation and technology, thus promoting products such as yours, or do you think it had more to do with the crisis hitting some countries differently? Um, it was probably a mix of both, uh, which was very interesting for me to see, is that Austria is normally not the most techie country. So we're very far behind uh, normally when when these things happen. But in terms of COVID, we actually had two contact tracing apps developed um, while other countries had none. So we had Stop Corona in ours. And um, yeah, the only problem holding us back was really the, the communication issue or the standard issue and that the people were very uh, skeptical. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Regarding money, when did you start actually um, generating revenue and when did you start paying employees or do you not pay them yet? Are you not yet level to it? So we sold to the Georgian government, as I said, and with that money, we tried to pay uh, the people who already worked and mostly our IT guys because they had quite a bit to do <laughs> during that time and we tried to support them in that way. But uh, meanwhile, in the association, no one gets paid. So we're all doing it voluntarily again. How many months did I did I take to be able to, to actually pay the IT guys? I'm not mistaken. It was about three months. Well, that's quite short. Oh, great. <laughs> so they must have had quite confidence in you. Um, and do you, do you really think it completely shifted the dynamic to suddenly have part of the team that was paid? Did it bring relief and make sure that you always had a core people who could actually be available for this work? We tried to be very transparent with the things we were doing and we valued the people were transparent with us too. So they would tell us that they would want to work and continue working, but some of them uh, just did not have the money to work for free. And some of them did have it. So it was actually not a very big problem. Of course, it's always very challenging to know that um, the one person gets paid and the other does not. But as I said, we're, we were all working towards this um, goal to end the pandemic. And some people just couldn't afford it to um, not get paid. So that's kind of how we tried to solve it. Of course, it was a little more uh, challenging during that time and a lot of thoughts how to do this. But that's it in a nutshell. I think it's always nice when you can finally bring in revenue, but it's, it's one of the hardest parts, I guess, <laughs> making sure that everybody can be on board and receive the, the revenue they, they deserve. Exactly. And sometimes you can like, the, the problem with paying when you didn't get paid before is most of the times to kill intrinsic motivation. So when people do something because of intrinsic motivation and then you start paying them and then it's not enough, then that kind of kills the spirit. So um, 
that's what we kind of tried to avoid. And that's where we thought about it a little different until we really decided to do it. That must be a wonderful environment to be in. But um, speaking of this, so you had those wonderful people who were motivated and you have several important scientific and national partners and another 20. Um, How did you secure them? As in, I really mean, how did you contact the right people? How did you recruit them? And then how do you get in touch with those those partners? Um, Make sure that, you know, they they actually accepted what you were doing and all got interested in working in the project. So some partners we had because um, actually they had set a Google alert (laughs) so they can be um, so they can know who's working on that problem and who can they can also help solving that problem. So this is how we got approached, for example, for one partner, the other partner we approached because we could see that there was skill lacking within the team or that we needed some more support. So this was one of the ways. And as I mentioned, 120 people working was also um, a very good thing to kind of reach out to all people they knew and um, what we're lacking. So we would just send out messages um, to the people of what we need and everyone would try to kind of come up and find someone to connect us with. And also, as I mentioned earlier, one of the things I did was to set up a partnership department where we tried to get contacts with governments in Europe, America, Southeast Asia, and kind of find out what they are doing to stop the pandemic. So I think the contribution of the 120 people Um, the department we set up and also the people that reached out to us um, without us contacting them. Those were the three really crucial parts of having really good partners. Might be a bit specific, but imagine tomorrow you have to help somebody contact uh, some governments, for example. Is it is it easy? Do you have to insist massively? Do you need to have beforehand contacts? What is the key thing that allows you to get through? Obviously, you say you have a department, but it's those individuals in this department that that managed to you know get through. Um, is it because it was a much more open time because everybody was looking for solutions, or did you really have the key contact or quality already? I don't think there is one key solution on how to talk and how to write those people and how to communicate. I think it was a very good timing in terms of um, all the governments looking for solutions that could help them um, stop the pandemic, right? So I think it was really uh, a crazy time where we had a lot of people talking to a lot of important people because uh, they knew they needed innovation, what was one of the most exciting moments that you had? Was it when you had this first massive download or was it always exciting to come to it or was it sometimes difficult to keep the space? And and what was the, the highlight of Novi 20? Um, I wouldn't say it was difficult to keep up the pace. I think it was difficult to kind of know where to stop or to kind of calm down or rest for a bit, etc. And we uh, experienced it all in the same way. So we saw all the opportunities, everything we could do and everything we can do better because um, it was a very young organization too. So there was a lot of things that we could have still done after working so many hours a day, all of us. Uh, So I think the challenge was actually to calm down and to understand that some things are not as important and that sleep is also very important 
I think that was a very big learning. And in terms of the biggest achievement or what make, made us the happiest is um, definitely seeing the people the first time. We were entirely remote, which was amazing in terms of being productive. And I have no problem with um, working remotely with people. But it was a very special day to kind of see everyone for the first time face to face after working for such a long time together. Oh, that's always wonderful when you have reunion and then suddenly you realize when people are taller and shorter than you expected because you've never seen them standing. <laughs> True. Um, so in um, the structure of the team, you did mention um, IT guys, no reference to the series by the way. <laughs> you mentioned IT guys, you mentioned the Department uh, for Governmental Affairs, uh, contacting, obviously you had guests in some ways, marketing, uh, you had a core team that was leading the vision. Was there anyone who actually was responsible for this, I would say, kind of mental health and mental load or workload that your team had? Did you, did you have to employ one or two people who actually were responsible to oversee the team's health was that done by kind of managers in general everyone kind of tried to support the others knowing that it was a very special time so that was amazing first of all second of all um misha the initiator was at some point calling everyone to make sure that everyone's okay which i appreciated a lot i think a lot of people needed that just to kind of um know that someone's talking to them making sure they're okay And also we were sending out um, questionnaires to make sure that people are okay, that they're not struggling with anything and um, try to find goodies for them um, to try to help with their workload, etc. So these were kind of things where we tried to make sure that everyone's sane and healthy. I think COVID-19 has really opened the eyes of people about how mental health can really impact performance and, and just obviously well-being in general is so important, right? Uh, it's not just, just about this performance, about human to human, how you want people to be. Would you recommend in, in other startups and in your previous experiences, do you think that such a person that would be kind of a mental health officer or just a, a well-being person, quite different from HR, would be needed? Or do you think it usually can be done by a good team spirit and good communication. I think in general, everyone that's managing a team should do that by default. I think this is one of the things um, every manager should be, should be doing. And also it helps a lot to have one dedicated person that he could maybe reach out to or um, sending out things via newsletter or email did not work out quite well with us, but we didn't have a lot of time for testing. So maybe that was no bit specific, but uh, at the end of the day, uh, I'm a, I'm a certified profiler and I can tell that, you know, talking to a real person and kind of opening up um, when there's asked more than just one question where you take something is um, a little better to keep your sane and to kind of stay healthy. Um, I have a question now. What is the challenge for you now if you were to build another business tomorrow and it's not anymore in a COVID-19 set, as in you won't probably see the same kind of drive for work. Uh, so many volunteers that will come to your aid right away to help the rest of the world and to, to make this product together. Do you think that it will make you a bit 
more challenged that you won't have the same kind of support, the same kind of environment? Or do you feel that you will be able to recreate this kind of pool for a product? I do not think that this is easily recreatable because it was very special, as I mentioned a couple of times already. Um, but I do think there's two things that I learned from that. The first one being that you need an incredible team. So whatever you do, uh, just find those people who are as highly motivated, do understand the problem, want to solve it as bad as you want to. In our case, that was easy because um, the entire world knew the problem. But I would definitely focus also on my next startup to find that team that you really can work with. And the second one is um, the vision. I would not start any company just for the sake of starting it. Uh, I think that it's very important to really believe in the mission and the vision and really wanting to change something because the startup world can be tough and rough. And I think the only way to survive it is to have this drive and this power and this passion for what you're doing. And it sounds very cheesy. And um, there's probably 90% other um, podcasts where everyone says that. But I think everyone that went through it does know exactly that if you're lacking that, if you do not want to work that hard or have it in the back of your mind all the time, you should probably not start a startup. But there is a, a many other things uh, you could do, obviously, but um, startup would probably be challenging without a very cool mission vision. Then we can come on to uh, another subject, which is quite related, is what are big entrepreneurship mistakes and recommendations that you would give obviously you just said those, those two important points but the team and the vision is there any mistake that you actually made that you regret or that you you would have changed or you think you had to go through to become the entrepreneur that you are today and there, is there any recommendation that you would take up from it for me personally um it's hard to let go people who don't want to stay so i think i'm one of the people who wait a little too long sometimes and I think that can be avoided from, from both sides, not only from my side, but also um, very honestly having this talk about uh, how the person feels and if it's actually the right fit, etc. So um, I would say the first thing I'm recommending is do the tough conversations, um, talk openly, and it doesn't help anyone to kind of hoping for the best for a very long time. So understand when the time is to actually have this talk. This is my uh, number one learning from not only Novit, but also the others. Yeah, I would say that's the main learning. Knowing how to let go. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, I think that's very important indeed. Uh, sometimes you, you believe that the person is right, but sometimes it's not the right time. It's not the vision. And bringing this vision to life, making other people understand it can be quite tough. True. Any any last um, advice, any last comment about Novid, how the experience was, anything that you'd like to share with us, Bella? Uh, I just want to put a little disclaimer. <laughs> the disclaimer is that uh, whatever you do, if you're very passionate about it, if you find the right team to execute it, and then if you pivot a couple of times and have some iterations, which we did, it sounds very cool and smooth when talking about it. But the reality is uh, it's a lot of iterations. It's a lot of feedback. It's a lot of work. Um, so if you're willing to do that, I think there is um, nothing that can stop you from, from doing what you love. And what we consider failure is uh, just learnings. So 
whatever we do, we should do it fast. <laughs> we should trial and error a lot. And uh, we should be very proud of ourselves also when things fail because we dare to try to make a change. Thank you very much. This is very inspiring. And thank you for being with us today, for sharing all of this. And this was Eleanor Pauli interviewing Bernard Epic from Novit 20. And we hope that you've learned as much as I did today. And we look forward to welcoming you in episode two. See you next time.